1, beginning at verse 13. I get more nervous doing that than speaking. It's my favorite song and definitely my favorite singing partner. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires that you lived in in ignorance, but just as he called you as holy, be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners in reverent fear. For you know that it wasn't with imperishable things such as silver or gold that you're redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are in God. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've not been born again, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, this is where the song comes from, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. As grass withers, the flowers fall. The word of the Lord, it lasts forever. And this is the word that was proclaimed to you. Therefore, rid yourselves, chapter 2, of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted the Lord and know that he is good. God, I love your word, and I pray that as we share it this morning, that it will be clear and that we will understand what it is that you want to teach us personally, not just corporately, but personally, and that just not personally, but corporately as well, so that we don't miss one for the other. May the Spirit speak to the church, and may we, the church, have ears to hear what he says. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we continue our study in 1 Peter, running that specific first chapter in our discussion on ethics and behavior. We spent some time last week talking about that and that our overarching principle of all of this discussion is that our values and our ethics and our morals and our behavior, our understanding of what's right and what's wrong have to be based on something. We believe that it's based on the character and nature of God and his word. Otherwise, everyone's left to decide for themselves. That's called moral relativism or moral suicide, to be honest with you, at least moral collapse. The fascinating verse in the book of Judges, when they were left without leadership and constantly vacillated back and forth between a godly leader and an ungodly leader, and the people kept following, it came to a point where it simply said everyone did what was right in his own eyes, which is one of the most dangerous positions for any nation to be in or any family to be in. I want to give you some examples of the consequences of that when we constantly use a number of filters to decide what's right and what's wrong or what we're going to believe in. Somebody sent me this slide this week. I find it fascinating that both government institutions prohibit Bible reading within its walls of the school, but they encourage it in a prison. You find that a little unusual or out of balance. We believe, let me give you another example, that willfully taking a life is wrong. It's murder. If I don't like you or you're an inconvenience or maybe just a burden, I'm just not real crazy about you, but I take your life. In our society, that's a criminal offense. But if you terminated unwanted pregnancies through abortion, it's okay. 
If you kill a pregnant woman, it can be considered a double homicide. But if you kill a baby through abortion, it's called a procedure. God's word says even in the womb, it's a human being. Psalm 139 says, you, were created, you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Listen to the message version of that particular section of Scripture. You shape me. First inside, then out. <coughs> you formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, most high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was, ma how I was made bit by bit, how I was sculpted together from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watch me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. All the days of my life, all prepared before even one of them were lived out. Yet left for each to decide for themselves what's right or what's wrong, we find everybody on every end of the spectrum. USA Today article this week, Thursday, September the 25th, in an article on sex trafficking in the United States, which is a deplorable, despicable institution, which in many cases, some say over 100,000 gals alone in the United States are involved in that. Our president said in an address to the Clinton Global Initiative that this kind of luring of young vulnerable girls is slavery. It's barbaric. It's evil. It has no place, he said, in a civilized world and announced an initiative aimed at ending it. He is absolutely right about that issue. It's evil and has no place in any society, let alone a civilized society. Yet he condones gay marriage, which leads to homosexuality, which is expressly forbidden in the word of God. Does that make sense to you? Here we are when God's word and his character are extremely clear and give us guidelines to determine what is right and what is wrong. We find ourselves in a situation where we let society or the courts or the media or the government or an individual decide what is right or wrong, leaving us in a moral mess and on the verge of collapse. There's got to be some anchor points in life, something to hold on to, something solid that I know for sure is telling me what's right, what's wrong, and if I hold on to that, it'll shape the rest of my life. It'll shape my values, my decisions, how I live my life. Here in this context, Peter said, we base our values, ethics, and lifestyle, not left to everyone's own interpretation or even religious set of behaviors, but on the nature and character of God revealed together in his word and an awareness that someday I'll stand before him and give an account of the life that I've lived. Believers in Christ live for the future and in light of the future. Most of the history of American Christianity have reduced Christianity to a set of morals, a belief in, an, in the innate goodness of man, that humanity is basically good. God's word is pretty clear. What does he say? We have all sinned and fallen short of God's standard, and our only hope for life and salvation is Jesus Christ. 18th century enlightenment became the outflow of that belief that man was basically good. One commentator said then that the essence of liberal Protestant belief is that a Christian Listen to this, a Christian is someone who is good and loving, and a loving and good person then is a Christian. Biblical Christianity could certainly affirm the first, but not the second. To simplify greatly, ethics 
are either founded in ourselves through reason, intuition, nature, or conscious, or outside ourselves with an established code of ethics, the law, constitution, or some form of revelation. Believers say that it's based on the revealed word of God. Peter knows no other foundation for behavior before God that doesn't begin with salvation and the light that comes through Christ and the word of God. As a parent, as a parent raising children, your greatest desire for your children cannot be what school they're in, what school they go to, what sports they play, what gym they belong to, what clothes or shoes they wear, but do they know Christ as Savior? And are they growing in that relationship? Are they fully aware of the eternal ramification of that decision? Do they understand how important that decision is? And do we as parents understand how important that decision is? It has to be our number one concern as parents, not all those other things. But you and I, not here, no one here does that, but outside the church, I'm sure we see it all the time. Where people see those other things as much more important. I've got to make sure she or he gets in the right school or goes to the right school. They've got to make sure they play these sports or in this gym or the list is endless. And insert church and a relationship with Jesus somehow gets lowered in the bottom of some of the priority lists. And then we wonder what it is that we're facing and why we're constantly changing and shifting values. Every day our students are challenged with moral and ethical decisions. They live in a society where the lines between right and wrong are not only blurred, they're moving all the time. The media will always push a certain agenda, the new normal. Now, it's not, that's not new or the idea behind that. But to show the new normal, a homosexual couple living together and now having children, calling it the new normal, trying to help us understand or be convinced that that's now the way we ought to think. Movies filled with foul language and frightening behavior. The incredible peer pressure to experiment with drugs, sex, and alcohol. 40% of college students confess to binge drinking. 75% confess to drinking. But 40% of college students, between 40 and 45%, confess to binge drinking. With so many different voices telling them what to believe, what's right and what's wrong, they've got to have some anchor points in life. And the only perfect and movable ones are Jesus and the Word of God. That's why Peter constantly points back to that. Look at how this section ends. The Word of God is the thing that's going to last forever. Nothing else will. That has to be the foundation of how we make our decisions and how we live our lives. When you vote next month, and you are going to vote, right? How many are going to vote? Raise your hand. I want to see it. Great. Awesome. If you haven't registered yet, you can still do that outside. There's somebody there with material. When you make that decision, what is the driver that helps you? Think through that process. What is the driver that helps you make a decision like that? I think it's one of the most significant decisions this nation has made in, cent in decades. But what is it that helps you make a decision like that? Many people will make a decision based on family background. This is the way my family has always voted. This is the party that I've always belonged to. Many will feel like they have the pressure of making that decision based on what the union tells them they have to do. Many of you who are in that, even though they've told me personally, I feel like that pressure is there constantly. It has to be whatever candidate, whatever office, you've done your homework, you do your homework well, what candidate comes closest to biblical values? Not even to my personal way of thinking. What candidate, when I make a decision of that magnitude, some will say, well, the person in the White House is only a puppet. Not at all. 
But when I make a decision of that magnitude, what will I use as my gauge? How will I make such a significant decision like that? It has to be which one fits or comes closest to biblical values. Next week on October the 7th, over 1,100 pastors, probably more than that by now, Jim Garlow and one of the other number of other pastors like that started a movement a while back. Garlow filled John Maxwell's place, if you know Maxwell, from all the writings in Skyline Wesleyan Church. 1,100, 1,200 pastors are going to join together and take on the IRS. Basically, they're going to tape all of their sermons and they're going to talk about this particular issue and how to vote for a candidate and who they ought to vote for and all that and then send it to the IRS. And basically saying, come on, come, come after us. Because the decision was made in 1954 that churches, if they do that, will violate their tax status is unconstitutional according to the First Amendment. So let us know what to do. Not one church has ever been, according to them, in the article this week, has been sued in that late and, and, and lost. I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to ask you and continue to say to you, how will you make that decision? has to be based on which one comes closest to biblical values and what we know god's word says is right and wrong what is moral and what is immoral you believe that Amen. knowing i'm going to stand before god someday not only encourages which is one of the things that peter is driving at it encourages these christians to keep on going no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how tough the circumstances are, no matter how deplorable situations get, I'm going to go to heaven someday. The flip side of that is knowing that I'm going to go to heaven someday, which sometimes keeps me in a bubble thinking, I don't care, it doesn't matter, I'm going to see God someday, just hopefully get on the bus soon. But it allows me to understand that because of that, and that I will stand before God someday, it encourages me to make sure my priorities are in line with the Word of God. And that my standards and my behavior and my lifestyle are in alignment with what the Word of God tells me ought to be. That's why it says in verse 14, as obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires that you used to do when you lived in ignorance, but come toward God's direction. Very similar to Romans 12, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your thinking, your thinking process, which means you've got to take in a lot of material to make sure that your, your mind is thinking clearly. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and perfect and pleasing will. Our thinking and our lifestyle and our behavior cannot be influenced by the world or what we used to do or what they say is right or even what's politically correct or at times what we feel like doing, but what we know is right to do. And how do we know what's right to do? We're in the Word of God. We're constantly communicating with the Father. We're on a first-name basis with Jesus. And we're constantly communicating with Him day by day. We're extremely sensitive to the voice of the Spirit. Jesus said in his word, you'll know when I'm speaking to you. You're, my sheep understand my voice. They know what it sounds like. And that takes practice. It takes a willingness to learn. It takes a willingness to be open to what it is the voice of the Spirit is telling me and to recognize that voice. Our students, our young people, all of us even as adults are hearing so many different voices telling us which way to go and how to believe and what our thought process ought to be. That's why it's so important that we help them understand how to value the word of God. So what drives our behavior and our desire to please the Father and the standard that He sets? A conscious awareness of the battle that goes on around me. An awareness of the standard that God sets for us, holiness, which without Christ we have no hope. 
Our holiness positionally is in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. When I invite him into my life and I commit my life to him, I give my life over to him. I recognize that before God I'm holy because of Jesus, not because of my own righteousness. But once I've made that decision, then I do everything else. Be holy in all you do in first personal responsibility. Speaks of a pattern of a way of life, a pattern that transformed my moments, my thoughts, my actions, my decisions, my day. It is a constant, continual awareness of what I'm up against and what I want to become, and that is more like Christ. Part of our vision statement here at Community Alliance Church is to see people transformed by faith. Not just come to faith in Jesus, which is why that word was chosen. Not just to come to faith in Jesus, but a faith in Christ that changes every aspect of my being. Where I'm constantly, continually growing in Christ. I'm growing in wisdom. And the more I grow in Christ and in my faith, I am consciously deciding every day that I will not only stay away from sinful thoughts and habits, but I'll determine by the power of God's Spirit within me to live a life that is pleasing to Him. I live every day with a conscious awareness that I'm in a battle for my morals, my behavior, my attitude, my thoughts, and my actions, and that I have all the resources that God could possibly make available to me to fight this battle. A daily consciousness, an awareness that I someday will stand before God and give an account of the life that I lived and the love that I gave. To do that, we have to believe that God loves us like crazy and only wants the best for us, which is how we have to understand this section of Scripture. Not an angry father pointing down to us, making sure that we line up according to his standards, but a God who loves us like crazy and only wants the best for us. Marty Sanders at District Conference a couple of weeks ago, just listened to it this week probably gave one of the absolute most amazing sermons I've ever heard in all of my life on the Father's love. And the impact that has on us personally and our view of God. And, and so many of us, depending on our context of growing up, have such a distorted view of God sometimes because of how we think He is and how we think He responds to us and how He looks at us. We just need to understand that God loves you like crazy. Loves you more than you can possibly fathom. He loves you like crazy and only wants the best for you. I've asked Marty to come and share it. And I, you, you, <laughs> again, we're so blessed with so many amazing speakers. Bridget Gabriel, that I told you about last Sunday, and coming in and on and on the list goes. <clears throat> like a loving parent, chapter two, look at what he does. Like a loving parent, and that's how you have to see him. Like a loving parent, he tells us what to avoid, what to get rid of, and what to embrace. In light of everything that I've just said, that's why the word therefore is always there. In light of everything that I've just said, get rid of all the malice, all the deceit, all the hypocrisy, all the envy, all the slander. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. That's why we talked about it being more than just simply a decision for Christ, but a, a journey where I'm continually, constantly growing in wisdom in my relationship with Jesus. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. When Peter uses the word milk here, he's not using the same word that Paul uses when he said, I, I wanted to give you solid food, but you're only on milk. You're not grown up enough. When he uses the word milk here, he's not just talking about the basic elementary truths of the gospel. He goes after a, 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 an image 
of what many people, most parents, every parent would remember of how that baby goes after the one thing they know that nourishes. And Peter uses this analogy of a baby whose driving desire is to get nourishment. Every parent in the room will remember that. Y'all remember that? Some of us, it's been a long time. But you remember how, I mean, they just go after it with everything you've got. I used to love to tease them a little bit, you know, like make them like a baby bird. And I know, a little, a lot of things I've got to work through. My wife says every once in a while. <laughs> when you drive by somebody who's really close to the road and getting their mail, you don't need to blow the horn at them. <laughs> But you remember how that, that little one just, they wanted it with every fiber of their being. And they go after it with everything they've got. They know that's where they're going to get life. They know that's where they're going to get nourishment. Nothing else matters at the moment. Nothing else matters at the moment. But getting all the nourishment that I can possibly get. Crave speaks of an intense desire. Reminiscent of Psalm 42 and Psalm 82 were... The psalmist said, as the deer pants for streams of water, my soul longs for you, O God. Psalm 84, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. It is with that kind of intensity that we go after it. And Peter says, the word of God is going to give you everything you need for nourishment and sustainability. The second Peter we'll get to in months now from now, I'm sure. He said, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption of the world caused by its evil desires. You want to know how valuable you are? Look in your word at verse 18 and 19. You won't see an advertisement today that doesn't say gold and silver is what you ought to get. That's where you ought to put your money, right? That's what they're saying is the one thing that will last, the one thing of value, the one thing of the most value. You want to know how valuable you are? You want to know how valuable you are to God? He bought you with the precious blood of Christ. He sees you as more valuable than the most precious elements on the planet. He said, I didn't buy you with gold and silver, what many would consider the most precious. I bought you with the precious blood of Christ. You want to know how valuable you are to God? He paid the ultimate price so that you and I could live the life he's called us to could have everything we possibly need to live that life could have all the resources under heaven to be able to live the life he's called us to and then instilling us the spirit of god if we're open to that we submit ourselves completely to him not just a, a little bit to earn salvation to hopefully that i avoid heaven but i surrender completely to christ and i give my all to him and i ask him to flow in me through me and over me and fill me with his spirit so that I can live the life he's calling me to. Life's short. For all people, it says in verse 24, are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field and the grass withers and the flowers fade. Which is why at the, I think at the beginning of this section, he said, hey, wake up, man, get ready. Be aware of what's going on around you. Life is so short. I mean, it's hard to believe in a couple of days, October is here. Tomorrow, right? I mean, Unbelievable. That this year has flown by this 2012? I mean, people talk about the 90s as if it was ages ago and it seemed like yesterday. And here we are, three decades removed from that in a sense. Life is so short, it's so precious. That's why he said, don't ever take it for granted. 
I'll give you everything you need, everything you need to live the life that I'm calling you to. I'll make you positionally holy in Christ because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I'll give you all the resources necessary to make the daily decisions, the moment-by-moment decisions to live a life that is pleasing so that when you stand before me, it'll be an amazing day. Communion for us here at Community Alliance Church is, is something that's celebrated on a regular basis. I drive most people crazy. I'm sure I do it on a regular basis for a lot of things, but in, in many Alliance churches, it's done the first Sunday of the month. It's very seldom done that way here. It, it's when I sense that it, it feels so wonderfully appropriate in the message or with the message. No right or wrong to that personal decision, but it, it really is appropriate this morning. Because it is a reminder of exactly what Peter tells us. We weren't bought with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it reminds us again of how unbelievably valuable we are to God. It's also a time where I reflect, which is what Paul very clearly tells us we ought to do before we take the bread and drink the cup. In 1 Corinthians, when he reminds us of that section of Scripture where Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples. He said, I want to pass on to you what has been passed on to me. That the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and said, this is where you get life. It's not through those other things. The world's going to tell you you're going to get life through a lot of things. You've got to have this, you've got to have that. But I'm telling you, this is where you get life. It's in Jesus and Jesus alone. And then he took the cup and he passed it around. He said, this is where you receive forgiveness. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin so I offer myself in that place that's why I said to you last Sunday I'm still fascinated the fact that we're on this side of the cross that in God's sovereignty we're all born on this side of Calvary and we get a chance to look back and know that he paid the price to set us free and not wonder when it's going to come but know that it has and it's available to all of us and then Paul goes on he said before you eat the bread and drink the cup you ought to examine yourself deal with some stuff he said, if you don't, I will. So this is a great time to do that. And of all places, he puts it within the context of communion and gives us the opportunity to look inside. So this morning, in light of the message the last two weeks, I just think, because we're going to move on next Sunday, I'd ask you just to do what Paul said. Look inside. Are the things that are keeping me away from being what you've called me to do that I need to get rid of? A- am I placing my values in the wrong things? in Christ and Christ alone the word of God and then make a decision as to what you'll do with what the spirit is saying to you in those moments of time here as the communion stores come we share it pass it out so that everybody gets a chance the elements are all in one tray if you're visiting this morning and we're asking you to help the neighbor beside you take the bread then the cup and we're going to lead you at the end uh, in all of those both of those together so hold it Wait till everyone is served, and I'll come lead you through that. So it gives us the opportunity to do what Paul said before we eat the bread or drink the cup. We look inside, and while it's being passed out, you get the opportunity to do that. And then I'll lead you in taking them in a moment.